Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Danielle. Good morning, everybody. How are we this morning? It's good to see you guys. I'm encouraged by you being here this morning. Um, I have the opportunity and the honor and privilege to open a new series for us this morning as we enter into the holiday season. I don't know about you, but I just realized this past Wednesday that Thanksgiving is this week, and I have family coming in from South Florida, so needless to say, we're a little bit behind on the preparation for their arrival, Um, but soon it'll be time to start decorating for Christmas. I really love this time of year. We're real live tree people. Anybody else live tree people? So I'm excited to get a live Christmas tree and decorate it. You know, of course, there's gifts and there's food with turkey coming up this week and ham for Christmas and eggnog. Probably my favorite thing about Christmas is eggnog. We keep seeing every year we're going to make our own, but we never do. We just buy the stuff at the store that costs like $36 for for a carton. But um, that's that's how we do it. (laughs) Uh, Most importantly, though, this is a time where we celebrate our Savior. And I really love doing that with family and friends. So it's cool that my sister's coming up, and I'm sure you guys have friends and family coming to visit as well, or you're traveling. Um, So we're praying for easy traveling for everybody. Um, The heart behind this series, In Plain Sight, is to get a fresh perspective on prophecies from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah, specifically surrounding his birth. Isn't it amazing that God foretold his plan through the prophets? If we study the Old Testament in light of Christ, as Matthew and the other New Testament writers did, then we'll see that God's plan was intricately laid out in plain sight. So today I'm starting our series where we're looking at the birth of our king, a birth that was against all odds. Now there's many accounts of unusual births, and one example is a woman from Michigan who gave birth to three children in three consecutive years. Now that's not too uncommon, but what is uncommon in her situation is that her first child was born on August 8th, 2008, her second on September 9th, 2009, and her third on October 10th, 2010. 
So we have 08, 08, 08, 09, 09, 09, 10, 10, 10. That's pretty amazing. The odds of that happening, though, are about 1 in 50 million. It's very uncommon. You'd have a better chance of birthing quadruplets, which is about a 1 in 800,000 chance, or even identical quadruplets, which is around 1 in 13 million. Now, as you add more children at one time, of course, the odds are less and less. So, for example, to have sextuplets, you're looking at the odds of 1 in 4.7 billion. So it, gets, it starts to get crazy here. Uh, the Guinness Book of Records, they've given the um, award for the offspring lottery to a couple in Mali, West Africa, who in 2021 gave birth to non-uplets. That's nine babies at once. We have a picture of their family here. Can you imagine? That's nine diapers, you know, each. <laughs> they probably go through a thousand diapers a day. But there's the babies. Can you imagine going from zero babies to nine babies? It's hard to imagine going from zero to one <laughs> or one to two, but wow, that's crazy. Uh, the odds for that are less than 1 in 21 trillion. Um, so those are some examples of overcoming great odds, but the undisputed champion is Jesus. His birth was against all odds. The prophet Micah prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem, and guess what? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Hosea said that he would be called out of Egypt, and he was. The prophets said that he would arise out of Nazareth and Galilee, and he did. We're looking at some of these prophecies in this series in plain sight, so I'm excited to unpack those. Um, but did you know that the odds of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies that Jesus did is one in 10 to the 17th power? That's one followed by 17 zeros. And I have a hard enough time wrapping my mind around how much a trillion is. I read somewhere that if you tried to count to a trillion, it would take you something like 300,000 years to count that high. That's incredible. The odds of one man fulfilling just eight are not one in trillions or one in quadrillions, but just shy of one in a quintillion. But that's not it. There's more to the story. Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies from the Old Testament. He fulfilled somewhere around 351 prophecies. There's no odds for that. And perhaps the strangest, most impossible prediction to believe is that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. The odds for that, you can't count them. The, ver the birth of Jesus is against all odds. So would you bow your head for me as we pray and then dive into Matthew's scripture here. Lord, I thank you for this time together where we're looking at the birth of your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us minds to understand and hearts to believe what your word says concerning the incarnation of Jesus. I ask God that through this we would be drawn closer to you and that we would know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. And so as we turn to our text for today, I want to keep in mind Matthew's purpose for writing his gospel. His whole purpose was to show that Jesus Christ is the King, the Son of David. 
And he starts out his gospel in verses 1 through 17 giving a genealogy showing the messianic credentials of Jesus. And so we see that God's plan in plain sight showed that the Messiah would be of the seed of Abraham from the tribe of Judah and the royal lineage of King David. And now I want to key in on the word fulfilled. It's a favorite word of Matthew, and he uses it at least 12 times to show fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophets. And the first of these fulfillments that Matthew points out is the virgin birth. It seems an impossibility, and without God, it is impossible. But God worked a biological miracle in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And so Matthew 1.18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Luke, in his gospel, he wrote a parallel account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And in verse 35 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so I want to point out four ways that the Bible tells us a person gets a body. First, it's like Adam, without a man or a woman. Of course, you recall that God created Adam out of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The second way the Bible tells us to receive a body is like Eve, with a man but no woman. God created Eve out of the side of Adam. The third way is like us, with a man and a woman, like all humans throughout all of time have been created. And then like Jesus, with a woman but no man, as we see in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, in the virgin birth of the Son of God. And I want to take a minute to point out the uniqueness of Jesus here. Notice I said that this is a way, these are ways that people get a body. Well, Adam, Eve, you, and me, we're created beings, but Jesus is eternal and uncreated. And so he wasn't created as we are, but he did receive a body through the virgin birth. He was in the beginning with God, and he was God. And Jesus took on humanity through the, human, through the virgin birth with the word becoming flesh. And so Jesus took on human form, receiving a body through the virgin birth. And now I realize that just the fact that I believe in the virgin birth, to some I seem as nutty as a Christmas fruitcake. But it's not only non-believers that label Christians in this way, a sad reality is that even within Christian circles, many don't really believe in a virgin birth. I think a lot of times pride and arrogance in 21st century technology and medical advancement and, and scientific breakthrough can cloud our judgment and inform our beliefs more than Scripture does, and this ought not be. So, that, so I hope that by the end of this morning, you'll have good reason to believe in the virgin birth. It is, after all, vital to our salvation, as we'll point out later. I want to also remember and remind us that our entire faith is based on an Old Testament history that is chock full of supernatural works of God. And so we can't 
take our modern day eyes and try to rationalize the things that happened in the Old Testament. And I'll point some things out. We could start from the incredible account of the creation of the cosmos or the intimate creation of man. But let's just start at the Exodus. I'll point out some of the plagues in Egypt, the river turned blood, frogs everywhere, the death of the firstborn and the Passover. Or what about the parting of the Red Sea or the pillar of fire and smoke that led the Israelites in the wilderness? Or how about how God sustained them with manna from heaven and all-you-can-eat quail? Or that he provided water from a rock? And if we fast forward, what about the talking donkey or the fall of the walls of Jericho? We don't have time this morning to go into all the miracles of Elijah and Elisha. One of them was the healing of Naaman, as Pastor Roger pointed out. And we don't have time to discuss the fourth man in Nebuchadnezzar's fire, but we can marvel at the fact that we serve an all-powerful God. Make no mistake, Christianity is a supernatural religion. In the New Testament, we see the miracles of Jesus and the chief miracle of our faith, his resurrection. Now, with the exception of the resurrection, the virgin birth is probably the most controversial and debated event in all of human history. But I want to kind of tease this out a little bit because the truth is, if there is no virgin birth, then there is no resurrection. And without a resurrection, we have no hope in eternal life with our Lord. And so let's return to the text. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so this is Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus Christ. And besides pointing out the fulfilled scripture, Matthew highlights Joseph's reaction to this good news. And so I just want to take a minute to come together and acknowledge Joseph, the unsung hero of Christmas. I think we can say that because he and Mary were betrothed, which was a one-year period of time when the bride and groom lived separated, but it was as binding as marriage. And it wasn't until the wedding day that they came together to consummate the marriage. And the scripture says that before they came together, Mary was pregnant and not by Joseph. So you can see the problem there. Joseph thought that Mary had been unfaithful and the penalty for adultery could mean death. But because of his love for her, instead of divorcing her publicly, he wanted to make it as painless and private as possible. So the text says, as he considered these things, Joseph was slow to anger and slow to wrath, and he thoughtfully considered the best course of action. But then in verse 24 through 25, it says that when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So we see that Joseph did what was commanded of him. He was quick to obey the call of the Lord. 
And I wonder often, am I as quick to obey the Lord as I should be? Do I consider things prayerfully before I act on them? Do you? I think we can all learn a lot from Joseph just in these brief few verses, can't we? Joseph, the unsung hero of Christmas. I also love how Matthew here, he seems to already sense pushback against the virgin birth when he notes that Joseph knew her not until after Jesus was born. This is Bible speak to affirm that they did not consummate the marriage until after the birth of Jesus. And so I want to make this emphatic this morning as the text does, Joseph was not the biological father of Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit that supernaturally caused Mary to conceive. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This passage in Matthew is the ultimate against all odds scenario, because a virgin birth is medically, biologically, and physically impossible. There are no odds for a virgin birth, unless you consider the one in Jesus chance because only with God is the virgin birth possible. So in the spirit of the Christmas season, yes, I know Thanksgiving is this week, but come on, we're in the Christmas season, and this is starting our Christmas series here. I want to unwrap three gifts that we receive from the virgin birth. A Savior promised, a Son predicted, and a solution provided. So first we see a Savior promised. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means Savior, and it comes from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. And so this begs the question, what do we need saving from? And of course, that verse also tells us the answer. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, we need to remember that forgiveness is our greatest need. I mean, just think of Jesus on the cross. Do you remember the first words that he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What else did Jesus say in the Gospels? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Or he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if we consider John the Baptist, what was his reaction to seeing Jesus Behold, look, check it out. Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Jehovah is salvation. The Apostle Paul tells us the mission of Jesus in places like Galatians 4 and 1 Timothy. So if we look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or 1 Timothy 1, 15, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. God's answer to providing forgiveness for sin is Jesus through the against all odds virgin birth of a Savior promised. Second, we see a son predicted. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is a quotation of Matthew from the prophet Isaiah that was 700 years, more than 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And it comes to us from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. But I want to give a little bit of extra context, so I'll start reading in verse 10. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Here then, he said, is Isaiah here. And Isaiah said, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel was the name given to a child born in the time of Judah and Ahaz, a sign that Judah would receive relief from Syrian attack. And the name Emmanuel symbolized that God would demonstrate his presence with his people by delivering them. So Isaiah said to Ahaz, ask God for a sign, and Ahaz, acting all spiritual, said, I will not put the Lord to the test. He says, I will not test the Lord, but what he means is, I will not trust the Lord. And he shows this by, instead of having faith that God would deliver them, he took matters into his own hands, and essentially he hired mercenaries to protect him, instead of trusting in the protection of God. And so Isaiah prophesied that God would give him a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that word sign is not like a signpost, you know, that says, hey, a virgin will give birth. It's a supernatural event. That's what's being prophesied. Like the, the parting of the Red Sea, that was a sign. The fire that fell on Mount Carmel to consume Elijah's offering was a sign. Healing miracles are signs. And the virgin birth, that's the ultra mega mega sign, right? Jesus is our Emmanuel, a son predicted to be with us and deliver us from our sin. Now I want to point out that Jewish sources, early Jewish sources, they describe this passage in Isaiah as messianic prophecy, and they tie it to Isaiah chapter 9. Many of you will be familiar with this as I read it. Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this, this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's important to note that this was what early Jewish sources said, because this was, the, uh, this was 
how the birth of Jesus was described in these passages as applying to the virgin birth of the Messiah. Even in the Septuagint, which is an Old Testament translation from Hebrew to Greek that was written around 280 BC, even the Septuagint uses the Greek word parthenos, which can only mean virgin. And I bring this up because this was the understanding of scholars before Jesus was born. It was a miraculous sign of a virgin birth that was predicted. The early church then ascribed fulfillment of this prophecy and others to Jesus, but Jewish rabbis in the time of Christ and afterwards, they developed an argument against this. They argue that the Hebrew word Alma, that's translated as virgin, can also mean a young girl and not only, not necessarily a virgin. And so people today, they latch onto that and they say, well, Alma really means a young girl, not a virgin, so it's not a miraculous virgin birth. But my question to that then, though, is how is that a sign? A young girl gives birth to a human male. Big deal. That's how all but three people have ever received a body, Adam, Eve, and Jesus. If the Messiah is just a regular Joe, then he's not God. He's not God with us. The argument doesn't account for Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is very matter-of-fact concerning the birth of Jesus, and he focuses on Joseph's reaction and fulfilled prophecy. But Luke, on the other hand, he's more explicit in the text. He begins also by stating that Mary was a virgin, using the Greek word parthenos, but then in the text it's clarifying the meaning of the term in Mary's response to the angel Gabriel. And so we read in Luke 1 verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? That phrase there, I am a virgin, that, that's translated in the ESV translation, it's from the Greek phrase, andra u gnosko, which literally in English means, I know not man. Again, this is Bible speak saying that she had not been intimate with a man and so cannot be pregnant. And then again, verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so first, we see the virgin birth of a Savior promised. And second, we see Emmanuel, God with us, a son predicted. And third, we see a solution provided. Earlier, I said that the answer to God's promise of a Savior to provide forgiveness of sins is the virgin birth. Well, how is that the answer? It's because only way to have a child who is both human and divine is a virgin birth. You see, Jesus was knitted in the womb of Mary as we were, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he is both a son born and God with us. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That can't happen with a natural birth. And I want to kind of, um, kind of put, just kind of like hit the nail on the head on this point here, kind of reiterate it. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, that is to say, if Jesus was born like all of us were, then he is not God. 
And if Jesus is not God, then all of his claims are false. And if his claims are false, then my salvation and your salvation is a hoax. Because the scripture says that the virgin-born Son of God will come and die and rise again. But there's good news for us this morning because he is born of a virgin. Jesus is the perfect solution. As a man, he's the perfect representative for us. The Bible says that he's acquainted with suffering and grief and sorrow, and he understands what it means to be tempted. So as a man, he's the perfect representative for us, but as God, he is the perfect sacrifice for us. And then consider this, because Jesus wasn't born of a human father, he did not inherit the sin nature that we all have inherited through the line of Adam. Jesus, the scripture says, knew no sin, but he was made sin for us, taking our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And so the virgin birth is a solution to this sin problem that we have. But did you know that it's also a solution to a sovereignty problem? What I mean by that is if we took the time to look at the genealogy of Matthew, verses 1 through 17, and we read through all the names that are listed there, we would see that Joseph is a descendant of Jeconiah, in the royal line of King David's son, Solomon. Well, in Jeremiah chapter 22, God placed a curse on Jeconiah. And we read that in verse 30. Thus says the Lord, write this man, Jeconiah, down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. And this curse came to pass. Jeconiah's uncle took over the throne, and the line of David as king died out. So we see in the genealogy of Matthew that Joseph had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus, but he became the adopted father of our Lord, and this gave Jesus the legal right to the throne, even though the lineage of David had been cursed. So that's Matthew's genealogy, tracing the lineage of Joseph. But in Luke, we see again a genealogy, but instead of tracing Joseph back to King David, Luke traces Mary's lineage back to King David. And not through Jeconiah and Solomon. With Mary, the line is traced through King David's other son, Nathan. And so it's only in the virgin birth that we see this sovereignty problem solved. God can curse the lineage of David because of the disobedience of Jeconiah and then get around his own curse through the virgin birth. So do you kind of see the intricacy of God's plan and his purposes in play throughout these Old Testament predictions of the Messiah? It's amazing to me. And I want us to marvel at what happened 2,000 years ago in a little town in Bethlehem. It was truly against all odds, but God's plan was in plain sight. In the intricacy of God's plan, from the beginning of all creation, the beginning of time, throughout the Old Testament, through the prophecy of Isaiah and others, the intricacy of God's plan shows his sovereignty and his providence. You see, God gives us salvation based on his grace through faith in a Savior promised a son predicted, and a solution provided. His name is Jesus, our Savior. His title is Christ, the Messiah. 
And Emmanuel describes who he is. Jesus Christ is God with us. But not only is he with us, he promises to remain with us. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There's a lot more than three people here. Jesus is with us this morning. Later, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And eventually, we'll be with him where he is when he returns and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. John says in Revelation, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so as the band comes up, I want to end today with us contemplating on a quote from a Puritan theologian of the 17th century named Richard Sibbs. He says this about Emmanuel. Emmanuel came down to us to take our nature upon him and to satisfy God's wrath that he might take us to heaven with himself, and that we might be forever with him in glory. And therefore let us, if we would make a true use of Emmanuel, desire to be with him. And so as we go into this Christmas season and as we continue this series in plain sight, I want us to remember and make no mistake that Jesus, our Emmanuel, is the reason that we celebrate. And we don't only celebrate him for his birth, but we celebrate him for the forgiveness that he offers. Jesus himself said that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So to make a true use of God with us, we need to believe in the one the Father sent, the one born of a virgin, Jesus, the Son of God. So I want to ask us this morning, do you know Emmanuel? Do you desire to be with him as he is God with us? If you don't know Emmanuel, I want to give an opportunity for you to experience the forgiveness that he offers this morning. Jesus, the scripture says, took upon himself a human body through a virgin birth. He lived a sinless life and died a death we deserve to pay a penalty that we can never pay. And he offers us forgiveness from our sins, which is our greatest need. God then raised Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too could have eternal life by the grace of God through faith in his son, Jesus. And I want to close reading from Philippians chapter 2. This is probably my favorite text that talks about the gospel message. And it says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now receiving forgiveness that Jesus offers, it's just that simple. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so why don't we all stand together and I want to pray first for any that don't know Emmanuel this morning. This is your opportunity to know him. And again, it's just that simple. And then I also want to pray for those who do know Emmanuel, but desire to be with him. And so, Father, thank you for this time we've had together this morning. Thank you that we have these prophecies from the Old Testament that speak of the coming Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord, for the virgin birth, that miraculous sign, so that we know that you will be with us and you will deliver us. So God, for any of those that don't know Emmanuel this morning, I pray, God, that you would embolden them. Holy Spirit, draw them. I ask that they would pray this prayer um, that I'm about to pray, believing in their hearts. Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you for coming and dying so that I could receive forgiveness for my sins. I repent of my sins now. I ask Jesus that you would change me. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Save me. And God, for those of us that know Emmanuel but desire more and more to be with him, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would draw us close. Help us in this season to realize who Jesus is and why he came. Lord, help us grow deeper in your word and help us to be obedient to your calling. We give you all honor and glory and praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.